Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain how. First off, it is absolutely free. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more providers. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello there, this is Guru talking to you about anchor.fm. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First off, it's completely free. Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast as well with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Ballistic Podcast, live from San Jose, California. I'm your host, Guru Ramprakash, your co-host, Guru Ramprakash, and with me all the way from Monterey, California, all the way from Monterey, California, over Skype, is my good friend and co-host, Vikram Kant. Vikram uh, how's your week been, and uh, are you looking forward to the final week of the NBA season? My week's been pretty busy, but you know, as always, I'm living the dream. I'm absolutely looking forward to the last week of the NBA season. Uh, I'll be honest, I'm kind of not looking forward to it, because that means we're getting ever close to the end of the season, which means uh, I have to wait for all of summer for the next NBA season, so like that's the only bad part about it, but from... Uh, from our perspective, there's always news to talk about in the weeks where the season isn't going on. But I am really excited to see what it looks like at the end here and going into the playoffs. Yeah, going going into the playoffs, right? That's 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 the big thing here, and we're going to be giving unparalleled playoff coverage over uh, the time that the playoffs are going on on the Ballistic Podcast. And you know how to follow us. Uh, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts and Google Play. I don't know. I just tried to do something cool there. I, it did not come out right. But Apple Podcasts, Google Play, you know how to subscribe to us. And yeah, make sure you subscribe before the playoffs because every week we're going to be pushing out content and it's going to be good content. And um, it's uh, it's going to be uh, great to talk about these playoffs with you, Vikram. Dude, this is going to be so awesome. I can't wait to be talking about the playoffs, the teams, the, you know, who's, I think I, I was listening to another podcast recently about who are the podium players that you wouldn't expect. So players who, who get interviewed at the end of the game, who are some of those players you, would, you wouldn't expect? I mean, there's so much cool stuff that's going to happen during this playoffs and some careers and reputations uh, are going to be built on this. One of the things I'm really looking forward to watching is uh, whether or not James Harden is going to turn in a a playoff performance that defines the rest of his career rather than the the trend that it's been going on in the playoffs so far. So, I mean, there are so many of those types of questions that are so interesting for us coming up. Yeah, and and for me, it's going to be who who survives the Eastern Conference, who 
has the, has the type of experience, the type of players, uh, the type of mental fortitude that it's going to take in the Eastern Conference to get out of the Eastern Conference. That's that's really what I'm looking forward to. C- cannot wait for the second round onwards uh, in the Eastern Conference just to see which team is better, which team is assembled better, which uh, w- which team is ready for that playoff challenge. And uh, I mean, we got a collection of youth in the pl- in, in the playoffs, collection of experience. It's going to be interesting to see what wins out. But um, really what we do this podcast for is for the fans. And we would love to hear from you. Uh, please send any topics, any teams you want us to talk about to uh, ballisticpodcast at gmail.com. That's an email account that was created by yours, uh, not yours truly, but by Bikram. And um, yeah, and we would love to hear from you and uh, throughout these playoffs. So ballisticpodcast at gmail.com, guys. Be sure to send us emails. So uh, before uh, we get, in, so we wanted to get into several topics that we were going to talk about today. We wanted to talk about the standings in both the East and the West, how the playoff picture is being and shaping up, and how these matchups are shaping up as well. So we just want to get to quickly brush over that with a couple games to go in the season. How are the teams standing? And then uh, we wanted to do an award show uh, because if you we we see that if we do an award show. Uh, over the time that the playoffs are happening, it's hard to remember what happened during the regular season too. So to maintain that perspective, we're going to be having our award show. And uh, Vikram, uh, are you excited about giving out some awards, some hardware, courtesy of the Ballistic Podcast? Hardware is everything. It is. For a lot of players. And I think like it is one thing to be the champion. It is one thing to be, uh, you know, to make it to the, to the conference final out of the first round or all that stuff and those team awards are really important to the legacy of players but at the end of the day you know as an individual player you do want to be honored and recognized so these awards are a good opportunity for that to occur and i think you know to get that type of hardware to be recognized as the best at your craft is a really valuable thing so i'm excited because it's just one it means a lot to the players and two it means a lot to us to see you know our favorite players make it to the highest level. So, you know, from everybody's perspective, it's it's just an exciting time. Absolutely. And uh, we'll definitely get into that. But obviously, as I said, first, we want to get into the standings. So uh, in the Western Conference, as we discussed last week, the, the eight teams that are going to make the playoffs have been decided, but the seedings have not been decided. And uh, they, aren't, they aren't really decided as we go into this last uh, week of the NBA season as well. So the Clippers, the Thunder, and the Spurs are the three teams jousting for the six, seven, and eight seeds in the Western Conference. Uh, the four and the five seed, the Blazers and the Jazz, they're one game apart. We don't quite know who's going to be uh, the four or the five seed. Could be um, could be consequential to home court advantage and other uh, other um, potential um, factors that go into that. And, and uh, in a surprise, the two and the three seed, so uh, the Nuggets and the Rockets, the two and the three seed respectively, are one and a half games apart from each other. And the Rockets are coming in hot. Um, they've been hot ever since the All-Star break, and they have won five straight if you go if you look at the recent um, games that they have played. So uh, the Nuggets better look out and, and watch their back because um, they, they would not... I, I don't think it makes much of a difference if they fall to number three or they stay at number two. But just from a mental standpoint, going into the playoffs hot is going to be important for them. So, uh, so uh, Vikram, which team are you looking at going into the final week of the season as they look to solidify their spot? 
So this is really interesting. When you talked about teams going in hot to the playoffs or cold to the playoffs, uh, there is actually a ton of research that's been done into the idea of being of being on a streak going into the playoffs, and it actually makes absolutely no difference at all, apparently. Just wanted to point that out from like a math perspective. But that aside, uh, I think there is some real value to being uh, to being the number two seed versus I mean, a two three seed is okay, but for the Rockets, their goal has got to be to avoid the Warriors until the conference finals. That's got to be their overarching effort, and as long as they stay in the two-three side, you know that that's kind of what they have to do. Uh, but going to what you were saying about what matchup am I looking forward to the most? Uh, I, I I'll t- let me answer this in a different way. I'll tell you what matchup I don't want to watch, and that's the current one-eight matchup in the West, which is the Warriors versus the Spurs. Uh. I think that's going to be a snooze fest. I think it's I think it's going to be like the most boring series ever. To be honest, I don't think you might be right. Aren't even going to take it. Yeah, I I would project a sweep for that game. Maybe a a, a gentleman sweep with a with the five games where the Warriors just like don't do anything in game three. You know, I I just can't see that series being very competitive Uh, for for our drama purposes. I'm really hoping the Oklahoma City Thunder drop down one more spot. Not that they, they have a much better chance than the Spurs. Of, of beating the Warriors, it, 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 just for just for the drama, and you know, uh, playing in Oklahoma City is is a tough game, regardless of what what seed the Thunder are. And uh, even though the Thunder are the eight seed, they still have Russell Westbrook and Paul George, and they can get hot at at any moment, right? Certainly. And 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 that's why I, I'm sort of hoping for Nuggets and Thunder. I would love the Nuggets to get tested in the first round, and not because I want him to get beat or anything. Okay, maybe, maybe a, a, I mean, an upset there would would wake up the Nuggets a little bit going into going into next season. That would be interesting to see. But just to see the Nuggets get tested on their on their home court, to show that uh, this, this is what the playoffs are all about in the Western Conference. Also, to win a bet with my dad because I. I I, I have a bet with my dad saying the Nuggets won't get past the first round. But anyways, that's that's for a different episode. Um, I, I think the Thunder, their bench has not been playing well very lately. And also, um, their defense has not been good lately. That's why they've fallen all the way to the uh, latter half of the Western Conference playoff picture. Talk about the Thunder a little bit. You know, we're seeing like the fundamental problems with building your team around a whole bunch of non-shooters. I think that's the real problem for the Oklahoma City Thunder. Uh, they have little to no depth off the bench that can actually provide reliable spacing. I actually like a lot of their players, right? Like, I really enjoy watching Grant play. I really enjoy watching Steven Adams play. But, you know, a front court of Jeremy Grant and Steven Adams is not really going to be, you know, providing you with a ton of spacing. Even though Jeremy Grant is hitting a career high percentage in, in uh, from three, you know, he's not a volume shooter. And that's kind of what you need, especially when Russell Westbrook and like Terrence Ferguson are, are just not reliable three-point shooters. So like up and down the roster, their only really reliable shooter is like Paul George. Uh, and that's problematic for them. And I think that's one of the things that we're seeing uh, – right now for them unless their defense is perfect and on a string they're gonna have a tough time playing enough offense or getting enough offense from their team and their bench to be successful in games uh i think dennis schroeder has been adequate but not anything special 
He he was up and, to start the you know, I want to talk about Dennis Schroeder first. He was up to start the season, but sure. he's been down lately, and that's coincided with this downfall the Thunder have had. Yeah, I mean, you need like again the biggest thing, and I I quote Danny Larue on this one because I I really agree with this. But you need forty eight minutes of competent point guard play, and Dennis Schroeder definitely gives you that. But to be honest, when you're you know when both your point guards are really struggling shooting the ball and creating offense. I mean, you're not looking at a you're not looking at the blueprint for a successful offense, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, continue. And one other thing, since Paul George has been back from the injury, he's been shooting in you know in the low 40s for for shooting. So I think that's actually also very problematic for them because he is probably the only reliable offensive option they have on their squad right now. So that I think has been uh, has been really problematic for them as well. And I mean, we talk about the the career low shooting percentage numbers that Russell Westbrook has had this year. That's been kind of hidden uh, in the bushes because of the kind of year that Paul George was having shooting the ball and the kind of year that Paul George was having creating offense for himself when Westbrook was not shooting well. Now that Paul George has uh, has sort of gotten cold, as as you've said, now Russell Westbrook's shooting woes are highlighted even more. And and obviously it's it's not good when your best shooter is not shooting well. That's when floor spacing really really becomes a problem. And even for the Warriors, even when the and when Clay Thompson's having a bad night, when KD is having a bad night, when they were not playing with Steph, that created a problem with spacing. Even though they had two very adequate shooters, uh, right, Vikram? Well. Yes, I mean, to be honest, it's not like the Warriors have a ton of shooting outside of they, they don't. You know, Steph, Clay, and KD. They, they like, just, that's the problem with their squad, right? Yeah, yeah. Who's the next best three-point shooter on their team? Like, Alfonso McKinney or, or Andre Godal? Or probably like, Quinn Cook, but anyways. <sighs> yeah, Quinn Cook. Yeah, no, definitely. Actually, that's, that's very, very true. Uh, but that's kind of the issue for them, right? You, they don't have a lot of shooting up and down the roster. They just happen to have... Uh, two or three of the best shooters in NBA history. So that's kind of that kind of you know you're saved by that. Whereas the Thunder simply do not have that as a potential or possible outcome. Okay. So that's an issue. There's no other way to spin it besides that's a really large issue for them. Yeah, and uh, so so moving on to another team I wanted to talk about in this Western Conference, the Utah Jazz are coming into the playoffs. I, I know I know we've talked you've talked about this like the streak that you enter the playoffs with does not really have uh and it's not really an indication of how you'll play in the playoffs, but the Jazz have been playing well ever since the All-Star break just like the the Rockets have and they've won 7 straight. They're 9 and 1 in their last 10, 49 and 30. Um and I mean they're fighting for home court advantage in the playoff in the first round with the with the Blazers. Whether they get it or not, I I really don't know. But let's talk about the the Jazz and what what kind of matchup issues they could provide uh, going forward in these playoffs for maybe a team like the Warriors. Like going, I mean you're talking about the second round here, obviously. But yeah, let's talk about the Jazz a little bit. So I actually don't think the Jazz are going to match up very well against the Warriors. Uh, but that's besides the point. Uh, I would really like to see. Uh, so, the Jazz to me are, are going to be the next best team to watch in the playoffs. To be honest, for at least for for my personal interest, because I really enjoy watching Donovan Mitchell and uh, and Rudy Gobert play. And plus, Joe Ingles might be my favorite low key player in the NBA. So yeah, 
that's yeah. you know all things considered, the Jazz have a, a, a lineup and a roster that I really appreciate and enjoy watching to play. But I do think they're going to beat the Trailblazers right now in the, I mean, in, in the first round of the playoffs, especially with Nurkic being out. And I think that they can give the Warriors a little bit of trouble, but not a significant amount, in my opinion. Uh, I just don't think that Rudy Gobert is going to be able to defend what the Warriors' actions are going to try to be. And I think that's going to be the most problematic part for the Jazz in that in that, in that that matchup. Because it's basically as Rudy Gobert goes on the defensive end, the Jazz go. So if the Warriors could scheme Gobert, not necessarily off the court, but to be less effective on the defensive end, then I think that the series would pretty go to the Warriors and that's the kind of mismatch problem that DeMarcus Cousins causes right if because if DeMarcus Cousins suddenly wants to be a perimeter player he can be that player and then now you're sort of forcing Gobert out of his comfort zone and uh, out of the paint and and this is where you sort of take him out of the game in, in the sense that he gets confused whether I should be defending DeMarcus Cousins or I should be focused on de- depending the interior, defending the interior, making sure they get no free layups off of their cuts. Um, yeah, yeah, it's definitely a tough decision, even for one of the best defenders in the league. You're you're very correct about yeah, that. Yeah, I, I just think it's going to be really problematic for them. Yeah, it really will. And, and that's that's probably why they are going. They're probably on the wrong side of the bracket. Uh, in in these playoffs, that's that's basically what you're saying, right? Especially considering that the Warriors are probably going to seal the number one seed uh, tomorrow uh, in the in, in their game. Just they they won a game against the Nuggets this week. I mean, completely uh, dismantled them, really. And I, that's why I want to talk about the Nuggets right now. Are you confident in the Nuggets going going into the playoffs? Have have they shown you enough to show you to tell you that they? Could win a playoff series, or does it? Is it a, is it a matchup versus matchup basis for them? So, with so here here's the problem, right? So, I think the biggest issue is the Nuggets are untested in the playoffs, and I think that's probably the biggest issue that they're going to have. They don't have a lot of players with playoff experience outside of Paul Millsap. And I think that's going to be the biggest issue for them. I think that there's they they've really been the Cinderella team for this year. Uh, would you disagree with me there? Or no, I, uh, I would think not. That's, uh, they've, abs- they've absolutely exceeded expectations. Did not expect them to be in the top half of the Western Conference at all. If anything, I expected them to make the playoffs for the first time and and be one of those inexperienced uh, lower ha- lower seeded teams in the playoffs. The fact that they're the second seed is is amazing. Is and it's a credit to them, by the way. Anyways, continue. Yeah, absolutely. And I I do believe that they've done, you know, a phenomenal job this year. Uh, I think the issue for I think the the big issue for the Nuggets is going to be can Jokic hold up defensively in the playoffs? I think that's going to be the biggest problem because I, I wouldn't even say Jokic is an, a a terrible defender, but he's giving up a lot. And when that's the case and you're, you know, you're playing Will Barton as well and Jamal Murray is not exactly the most stout defender, you start to have some problems on the defensive end. And the other thing that I think is going to be problematic for them is if they want to put a defensive lineup on the floor, they're going to play, a, you know, Tony Craig in, in that lineup and he's going to take away on the offensive end, especially if Paul Millsap is playing alongside him. So I think they're going to have some interesting offense for defense lineups. 
And I think that's that's really going to be their issue. Do I think that they're going to make it far? Uh, I think if you know, I think that we're we as the media are really kind of underrating how good that they're going to be. I, I do think they're going to get out of the first round, so I think you are likely going to lose that bet, unfortunately. Uh, but after that, I think all bets are off. Hmm. It's, but I really would like to see them make it past the first round. I mean, if it weren't for my bet with my dad, I would probably want to see that too. But uh, I'll, <laughs> I, I, I would also say that uh, for, for the Nuggets, right, if they ever need a bucket in late, late in the fourth quarter, who is getting the ball? Is it going to be Jokic? Is Jokic going to make a play for himself or is he going to make a play for somebody else? Because I always, this is what I, I sort of always feel that Jokic is like in between a rock and a hard place with respect to should I pass the ball to a teammate or should I just take it myself? And he's a gifted playmaker and that's, that's a great problem to have, by the way. But I, I think for the Nuggets to take that next step in their development, Jabal Murray needs to be one of the best scorers in the NBA. Or, or rather, he needs to be at that all-star level where you need a bucket. I can give it to Jamal Murray, and he he can he can just isolate outside of the three-point line and, and get any shot he wants. And there's no reason to think that Jamal Murray will not be able to do that in the future. That's why I, I truly believe that the Nuggets got next because they got this great, deep, young team, and. It, it's just going to have to like a couple of players are going to just have to take a step up from where they are now. Like Jamal Murray, a Gary Harris. And if Michael Porter jr, we haven't talked about him at all. If, if Michael Porter jr is anything close to the star that people thought that he was going to be, then the nuggets really truly got next. Yeah. I think that they, you know, I think the best is yet to come for them. Certainly. Uh, and I think you're right. I think your analysis on them being a young team, uh, is pretty is very true, and I think that they have a lot of stuff going for them from a roster perspective as well. Uh, I think they are going to run into some difficulties, and a lot of it does kind of depend on Michael Porter Jr. becoming, you know, at least serviceable as a as a starter or at least a role player. But I think you're right; they got next. I don't think this year is their year, obviously, with the Warriors being who they are right now. But I think. Two or three years from now, I think they're going to be really, really good. The issue I have is I don't know what Jamal Murray's ceiling is, and he hasn't quite shown me enough right now to say he's ever going to be more than a, a really good starter. So I think that's problematic. I hope Gary Harris can stay healthy for an entire season hmm. uh, next season, so that's something else that I'm watching. And again, without that solid backcourt, I'm not sure that they're going to take that next step forward. Uh, they also have to be worried a little bit about Millsap's aging and I'm not sure who replaces him. So there are some of those roster issues too, that I'd be worried for them. But again, I, I have these types of concerns for almost every team in the league. So it's not just the nuggets, but I think that's some of the stuff that they have to watch out for. Right. And uh, just very quickly uh, on the, on the Clippers, do you, do you think that, uh, do you think that their heavy loaded bench, obviously led by Lou Williams and, um, and what's his name? Montres Harrell. Do you think that will help them in the playoffs? Or is the fact that they have really very little star power too much to overcome? So I think that this isn't a really interesting, this is a really interesting concept, right? I think the issue for the Clippers is going to be 
you know, other teams aren't going to be playing their bench units a lot of minutes, and they're going to be playing a lot of starters. And I, I think that's going to be the real issue. But the bigger issue I think they're going to have is Montrezl Harrell and Lou Williams on the same team is not a great defensive lineup. So I, that's probably going to be more of their downfall. Having really good bench units is not necessarily that much of an advantage. Uh, for example, the Raptors bench mob last year didn't really accomplish a whole lot for them. They they didn't, and and part of it was because of their inexperience, uh, not 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 really being being in the playoffs that much, and uh, also um, playing playing like uh, starting level players on the other side. Because as the playoffs come, the rotations shorten, so you're going to be seeing star players on the other on the other side of the court, uh, almost all of the game. It's they're not going to be many hockey substitutions, as we would call them, like. You're not going to see five bench players on the court at, at a certain point of time. There's there's always going to be a starter and probably like a superstar starter. And for the Warriors, probably either KD, Clay, or Steph. For the Rockets, it's either going to be Chris Paul or James Harden. So you're always going to see those stud players on the floor. So how are bench units going to respond to that? I personally think that the the Clippers don't really change up their rotation because their strength, that's that's pretty much their strength. It's their bench. And that that could be their downfall because now they're not going up against replacement-level players. They're going up against starters, against probably superstars. That's the problem for them. Uh, I think that's... I mean, I, I do believe Lou Williams can get a shot up against anybody. Like, I don't care if you're the best defender in the NBA, Lou Williams is going to find a way to get, to get his. Yeah, for uh, sure. But... I do kind of wonder for somebody like Montrez Harrell, uh, how effective he's going to be against everyday starter or every start like the, you know, the best starters in the NBA all the time. I think that's going to be problematic for him. And I'm wondering, you know, how many minutes can you play like Zubats, for example, for them too? Because mm-hmm. I don't think you can play Harrell 40 minutes. So yeah. I, I think those are some of the issues that they're going to have. Right. And, uh, and you, know, you have anything Gallo's else to say health as well? Oh, about the Clippers? Yeah. Well, I just think, I, I hope, so I think the Clippers are another team that, you know, it's the best is yet to come for them as well, especially because they've positioned themselves to be an attractive free agent destination this summer, uh, you know, with a potential Kawhi Leonard signing. And if that's the case, uh, that's going to change the trajectory of their team. If they offload Gallo as well, they have enough room for another slot. I mean, like, all of those things are going to be really interesting for this summer. Right, and and that's that's pretty much what what they're uh, looking forward to, and uh, I mean, who they play in the playoffs is 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 probably a big deal because you would think that probably against a team like Denver they would have a shot, but against a team like against a team like Houston or and definitely against Golden State they would be in a little bit of trouble, and I I tend to believe uh, that the um, the Clippers would be out in the first round regardless of who who they played. So I mean, we'll, we'll see. Going going forward, we'll, I mean, and uh, this last week is going to be very important to see uh, what the playoff matchups are going to be, and we're going to have an in depth discussion on what the first round matchup is go- matchups are going to be in the Western Conference and the Eastern Conference. Speaking of the Eastern Conference, uh, the battle for the bottom three seeds in the Eastern Conference is still going on. Uh, the Brooklyn Nets, Orlando Magic, Detroit Pistons, and Miami Heat. I'm leaving out the Hornets; they're not making it. Okay, they they're just they're two games behind, but three games to go. It's just the odds are very much against them. But uh, three of those four teams are going to be in the playoffs, and one team is going to be going to be staying at home. And uh, 
the the Pistons and the Heat, they picked the wrong time to lose three consecutive games. But um, they're pretty much dousing it out for the last playoff spot. The Nets and the Magic have taken care... I mean, the Magic especially. They've been 8-2 in their last 10. And they've been taking care of business as far as sealing up that playoff spot and getting to 500. Congratulations to the Magic for on that accomplishment. Uh, but who's missing the playoffs, Vikram? It's a great, great, great question. So I, I really think for this, I think the Heat are going to miss the playoffs, which is really disappointing. It is. Because I'd like to see Dwayne Wade's last dance. But, you know, I, I think that's, that's the way it's going to be. I think the, the fact that they're, you know, game back with three games to go, the Pistons, are, I don't think, have a particularly difficult schedule. I just think that it's, I'm pretty unimpressed, actually, by how poorly the Pistons and the Heat have played over the past week. Yeah, they and didn't, they're not playing like teams who are playing for a playoff position. But anyways, continue. Yeah, they're looking like teams that are trying to tank, right. not teams that are trying to make the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I'm beyond impressed at the Magic. Like, their ability their, their ability to make it to the playoffs is just phenomenal. They don't even have, like, as, as amazing as DJ Augustine has played this year— I don't think he's really a starting caliber point guard in this in the NBA. So like the fact that they're able to that they're that they're in the playoffs is is a testament to their, you know, their their work as a group. And I've been very impressed. And I actually will watch a Magic game, which is incredible. If you told me that I'd say that at the beginning of the season, I would have said I was crazy. You know what I mean? Yeah. For, yeah, for sure. And uh, this uh, this is pretty much attributed to um Nikola Nikola Vucevic and his in his all-star season but you brought up a good point DJ Augustine is, is does not jump off the page as a, a starting point guard in the NBA yet he is starting for the Magic and the and and with him in the starting lineup the Magic have been playing very well they've improved as the season's gone on that's what has really impressed me they've improved as the season's gone on they're hitting the peak their peak at the right time um obviously they're probably going to lose in the first round but this this is good for the Magic franchise, who hasn't been to the playoffs in a long time, hasn't been in a playoff race like this in a long time, and it means great things for their future. I would love to see a Magic Bucks first round, just to see like John Hammond's old team versus John Hammond's new team, and you can sort of see the the fingerprints of uh, John Hammond on this Magic team, given given the length that he's drafted on the Magic, starting with obviously Jonathan Isaac who's starting for the Magic right now, playing very well. And also um, Mo Bamba, who hasn't really seen the court yet. But uh, again, uh, you, you can sort of see John Hammond's fingerprints on both these teams and why one team is very successful right now and another team is going to be successful. Definitely. I agree with you there entirely. So what matchup in the East are you really looking forward to in the first round? Oh, dear. Don't. Oh, my God. Don't put this on me now. Uh, okay. <laughs> okay. The for the first round, guys, stick to the West. Like really, <laughs> and that that is probably the the um the moral of the story here. But if I had to watch, and I'm I'm gonna watch it. Obviously, I I don't mind watching young teams in the playoffs. If they're gonna get swept, they get swept. So what? But anyways, I would like to see the Sixers and the Nets. I think that might be a pretty good series. Not that the Sixers would lose, but the Nets have played the Sixers pretty tough this year. I will say that. And uh, 
and, and the sort of chemistry issues that the Sixers have had uh, coming up in this latter stretch of the season, they're five and five in their last ten. Uh, I th- I think it'll be interesting to see that play out. But again, like uh, I think it- it'll be it'll be a miracle if the Nets even win one game in that series. Uh, I just I'm just looking for close games in the East. That's just me. Which series can provide me the closest games? Celtics and Pacers could be could be interesting. But I I think that the Pacers, although they have played admirably well without Victor Oladipo. The Celtics, especially considering that it is the playoffs now, they should be stepping up their game a little bit more. I think the Celtics would win in five. So I don't think that that would be that great of a series. What are your thoughts? So, you know, this is my question. It's it's not really to you or in general, but what happens if the Celtics lost that series? What do you think the odds are of Kyrie Irving staying in Boston? Oh, my God. Like, I'd put it at 15%. 15. Dude, I'd be like, I'd be out of there, bro. Uh, if zero percent, if they, yeah, I, I think he, I think it's a zero percent chance he stays there if they lose to the Pacers in the first round. I don't, I don't know, man. I don't know. What if, what if Kyrie was just playing with us this entire time? I, I, like Kyrie's weird, man. I always have to, just like we can say that Kyrie is not a guarantee to re-sign with the Celtics. I can't say that there's a 0% chance he's coming back. Kyrie's not the type of guy to make that kind of decision. That's my, that's my, that's my point. And he, he, he can be easily swayed one way or the other. And maybe if the Celtics start their offseason early, they can get to work convincing Kyrie. I, I don't know. I, don't, I think he's too fickle for me to ever put it like an extreme prediction on him. That's what I'm saying. So why are you saying that's it's a 0% exactly. chance he's staying? Oh, because I don't think that they can they can convince him. I don't. I, I know you said that they you think that they can convince him. I don't think it's possible. I just think it's he's going to leave for greener pastures at some point. And uh, I, I don't necessarily think my biggest thing is I don't think the Celtics' offensive game plan really fits his style. It, it doesn't. Uh, and I think that's been apparent. But I think it's also apparent that Kyrie Ir- having Kyrie Irving is very important to have, uh, especially in closer games, in in, in clutch situations. Uh, he he's been yeah, dominant, but, yeah. But but anyways, yeah. Just continue on your thought there. Yeah, I just think like his his style of play is not necessarily what Brad Stevens looks for in their offense, and that's kind of led to friction between Kyrie and the rest of the team, right? And I, I just think this might be a situation where everybody is kind of happy, if that makes sense. I think everybody would walk away from this. Fairly content, except I think from the Celtics' perspective, they would be irritated because, you know, that without Kyrie, there's no way AD's uh, remains in Boston. So from their long-term team perspective, uh, I don't necessarily know that they have a better option than keeping Kyrie. The other thing I would say is I wonder if Danny Ainge has made some a little bit of a tactical miscalculation by not turning the absolute treasure trove of assets they have into something tangible like a player— Already, I, I think he might have missed that opportunity, and or, I, I don't or know. Take the, the treasure Celtics. trove of picks and make it a higher pick, right? Something, anything. Yeah, I just think that they're. I I don't know that they're gonna have. I, I don't know that the, that strategy right now is going to be successful because you know this year they're projected for three or four picks in the first round, and they can't even sign all those players. 
So, I mean, what was the point of having all of those picks? Or, or are they going to have to cut first-round picks from from their previous years? That's never good. And Yeah, I just think it's a, it's a lose-lose all the way around. But, but anyways... Uh, what what is your what is the first round matchup you want to see in the East? You can you cannot just ask me that question and get away with it. You have to answer it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know I'm really I'm really curious to watch the Philadelphia Brooklyn series. Uh, I think I obviously I think the 76ers are going to win pretty handily, but I really want to see what the point guard duo of uh, D'Angelo Russell and Spencer Dinwiddie can do to the Sixers. Uh, I think it's going to be fun. I think Jared Allen is a decent matchup for Joel Embiid. Not great. Uh, the biggest thing I just want to watch is I really need to see what the hell Ben Simmons is going to do in the playoffs. Because mm-hmm. I feel like every single team is going to sag off him so hard. Uh, I, I'm just – I think Ben Simmons, without a jump shot, is going to be a liability for the Sixers in the future. So and, and, and I'm what curious happens on, And what happens if on consecutive plays, because of their sagging off G- – uh, ben Simmons, Jimmy Butler does not have room to penetrate and drive the lane, right? That's sort of been why Jimmy Butler has. No, I don't want to say it's not worked out, but it it hasn't it hasn't gone great. It hasn't, and and that's why the Sixers are sort of struggling. They they've had sort of the best starting lineup, one of the best starting lineups in the Eastern Conference, but they have not been able to put it together, and it's because the pieces don't quite fit. No, I agree with you. I 100% agree with you. But I, I, I still, no. I, I still think that the the Sixers beat the Nets. But hey, like those, those are nice, nice games to bet on. Maybe you can put some money on the Nets and uh, hope for a nice return if they find a way to steal a game, either on the road yeah, or too. at home. Yeah, that's yeah, that's probably something we look for. A- anyways, uh, so uh, moving on, uh, so. We are going to have uh, the playoff matchups uh, set in stone on Wednesday. And so by Friday, we will be previewing all of the first round matchups one by one. Going to go over everything, every facet, every angle. We got it for you. So looking forward to that for sure. Uh, so right now we're going to be having our award show. And basically how this is going to work, we're going to be discussing uh, MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, most improved player, sixth man of the year, and coach of the year. Uh, we're not going to be discussing the all-NBA teams because uh, uh, we we're going to be leaving that out to a later date just because uh, that's, a, that's a lot of things names to get through. And uh, we, I sort of have to research about who I'm going to put in my first, second, and third team as well. So um, that's something we will do in the future. But hey, let's. Uh, are you ready for the award show to start? Heck yeah! All right, man. So, uh, let's hand out some hardware. Okay, so let's let's start off with the award that created the most controversy, I think, over the last couple of weeks of the NBA season. The most valuable player, MVP, and uh, it's really come down to two players, and those two players are Giannis Antetokounmpo of the Milwaukee Bucks, James Harden of the Houston Rockets. So, um, Varun, I'm oh, sorry, Vikram. Oh, goddamn, Vikram. Who uh, who do you have in mind for the MVP, and how do you think that this race has sorted out over since the All-Star break? So, you know, I I struggle because I think James Harden's offensive season this year is, is 
one of the most impressive things I've ever seen uh, in basketball. Granted, we're both fairly young, so we didn't necessarily get to see a lot of Jordan's best offensive seasons. Uh, but the last time I remember watching anything like this, and it uh, granted it's done in a different manner, was uh, was Kobe's season when he averaged 35.4. I, I really think that what James Harden has done since, not just since the All-Star break, but all year has been has been remarkable and amazing. And, you know, despite the fact that I don't necessarily enjoy watching him play, simply because I don't like watching a bunch of fouls and uh, but I do enjoy watching his step-back jumpers and his juking and, and particularly his pick-and-roll passing. Uh, I think the one thing that he doesn't have that Giannis has is an ability to impact the, the game on both ends of the floor. I think the one place where I ding Harden a lot is Houston has to scheme around him on defense because he seems to be incapable or just not willing to fight around screens. Granted, his offensive work load is particularly high so I don't think it's necessarily fair to expect him to do everything but I do think that's one thing that Giannis has over over James Harden uh since the all-star break is an interesting way to frame the question because I think as uh, members of the media and fans in general have a what have you done for me mentality and so whichever one of these players performs the best in in the waning games of the season uh, is likely to win the MVP, as as I see it. And I think uh, the 45-point multiple-block performance against Philadelphia that Giannis had is probably going to be the most important metric that people use to determine the MVP. In my opinion, it's it's always about recency and recency bias. Uh, so Obviously, uh, recency I, bias is the killer of... Oh, yeah. Everybody. It absolutely yeah. is. Yeah. If If that's the last impressive thing that occurs then I think he's got a really, really good shot of win. or Giannis has a really good shot of winning MVP. But I think the, the direction I want to go with this is just in that one game, it's a microcosm of how Giannis is important on both ends of the floor. First of all, he's been shooting more threes in the past few games, and they're starting to go in. Now, he doesn't have the nicest shot in the world. He airballed two against Philly and made two against Philly. Uh, and so that's impressive and it's important because, you know, contrast that with somebody like Ben Simmons, who's not even taking those threes. So that's uh, that's one big thing. And the other really big thing is in the clutch with a minute to go, he gets a huge block on Joel Embiid. That's something I don't think James Harden can give you. And so as much as it pains me to say, you know, your offensive performance for the ages that James Harden is having, I think Giannis is the more complete player and I frankly rather have him uh in one game so and and i, I, I think i think I, I think the thing that fans media members are are sort of missing when when they say that james harden's offensive season has been memorable and it has i think what they're missing is that clutch plays can be made on the defensive end as well in fact it is much harder to make clutch plays on defense than it is to be a clutch player on offense because if you're the best offensive player on your team, like Giannis and James Harden are, you're going to have the ball in your hands and you're going to have the opportunity to score uh, or make plays more often than not. What I want to see is what happens when the ball is not in your hands. And that's what happens on defense. And the fact that Giannis is able to make clutch plays on defense, that block on Joel Embiid, that's pure, that's, that's, that's being clutch. That's coming from the weak side and blocking Joel Embiid's shot. That's not easy. 
that's not easy to do. You have to understand defensive rotations. You have to understand what uh, what play that the Sixers are running at at that time. You have to study the game. I think Giannis has just worked on all facets of his game. Not only his physical uh, stature, the but and not only his offensive game, but his mental game as well. And that's sort of the reason why I have to give MVP to the MVP to Giannis, even. Though James Harden has had a fantastic offensive season, and also the fact that look, the Bucks are the number one seed when they were the number seven seed last year. There's a clear improvement there, and they have one superstar. It's not like the Warriors where they have Steph, they got KD, they got Clay. You don't know who's making an impact on any given night. Every night that the Milwaukee Bucks win and Giannis Antetokounmpo is playing, you can bet that he's having a significant impact on those wins. And the Bucks have the number one record in the league solely, almost solely because of him. And that is like the main reason why I have to give Giannis the MVP. And it's sort of, I get it, it's sort of, it's sort of like a simplistic way of looking at things. And um, in any other circumstance, probably James Harden wins the MVP. But Giannis is also putting up stats. It's not like James Harden is putting up these gaudy stats and Giannis is not. And and that's and that's sort of my thing, right? That, now, where's the overall package? And for me, the overall package belongs to Giannis. Uh, Vikram, you have any thoughts on what I just said? I 100% agree with you that well, a game can be impacted not just on the offensive end, but also on the defensive end. And that metric... Giannis is is the is certainly the MVP, and I I think your simplistic analysis is important. The idea of the best player on the team should be the MVP. That type of thinking evolved for a reason, and that was simply because it means something to be the best team in the NBA. It really does, and it means something to be the best player on that team. So I think that's that's significant. I don't think it, I mean, I agree with you. Yes, it's simplistic, but I think it's a very significant way and an important way of looking at that problem. And so, you know what? I'm with you. I'm a hundred percent with you. I guess this is kind of uninteresting simply because we're aligning on this particular topic, but you know, I think that's, it's as simple as that. I think you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And I mean, we talk about last year, right? Last year, who was the best team in the NBA, the Houston Rockets, who was the unquestioned best player on that team? James Harden. James Harden. That's that's why James Harden won the MVP. It, it sometimes it just comes down to that, and like, and it's, obviously some years you're 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 picking at hairs, and you're and maybe when you have like unbelievable statistical seasons like the one that Russell Westbrook has, then you got to recalibrate a little bit. And I don't mind people doing that, but I I just I just think that you know sometimes you got to go back to the simple things. And that's that's sort of the reason why, I mean, I picked Giannis, and I think that has something to do with you picking Giannis as well. So with that, we have Giannis Antetokounmpo as uh, the Ballistic Podcast MVP. And uh, now we move on to Defensive Player of the Year. I, I guess this award, uh, it's, it's sort of obvious to me. Uh, there's one player in particular that's been having a really great defensive season, but uh, Vikram, I, I'd like to hear like what candidates did you have for this award um, this season? Defense Player of the Year. Yes. Uh, I had so I had Paul George was one of my candidates for this. Uh, I had 
Uh, I had Rudy Gobert, who is actually the person that I would choose to win this award. Yes, me too. Uh, I had Joel Embiid for this as well. And uh, although he won't ever get a ton of a ton of noise for this award, and I, I don't, I considered him, but didn't like seriously consider him. Uh, Drew Holiday was in my list too for this. Ooh, that's a good that's a good name there. Uh, props. To yeah, you. I mean he's he, he's, I know he's we're a not really talking. good defender. If if the Pelicans were, were anywhere close to good, I, I would definitely consider that. Yeah, I know we're not talking about. Uh, I know we're not talking about our you know all defensive teams, but he he would make my all defensive first team just to put that out there. Okay, okay, cool, cool. So, but uh, I would say I I really considered uh, Joel Embiid, uh, and and Giannis as well. By the way, Giannis is in this group as well of, of players that I think have a significant impact on defensive side of the ball. The really what it kind of came down to me was uh, whether I wanted to choose. Rudy Gobert or Paul George, mm-hmm. and uh, ultimately, I actually think this was a pretty easy award. I think Rudy Gobert has been head and shoulders above anybody else from a defensive perspective in uh, in the NBA. So I thought this was a pretty easy award to to give out. Did you have any other candidates? Uh, no, I mean, I, I pretty much had the same candidates you had. Uh, my main, my two top two, I think matched with your top two. That's Rudy Gobert, Paul George, probably with a mixing of Joel and Bead. Uh, but like, but yeah, if you want to look at a player who almost really almost made an all-star team based on how his defensive uh, play has been, I know he that he's improved on offense, but re- really what really Rudy Gobert's calling card is his defense. And that really what drives the jazz and the the type of the type of uh, style they play. And obviously everybody fears Rudy Gobert, not just because he's this big monster in the middle. But he he recognizes angles, he he knows how to patrol the paint. It's not just about being big and tall. It's about being at the right spots at the right time. As and time and time again, we see Rudy Gobert doing this. And if you look at his defensive plus minus, Rudy Gobert is off the charts. And that that really decided the the award for me, um, uh, personally. Uh, do we see a? Did we see ever see a world where Paul George would be Defensive Player of the Year? Probably if OKC was a top four seed and they kept their defense up throughout the year, maybe you could have considered it. But is there any way you could have seen Paul George winning it, Vikram? No, not really. I mean, so there was a little bit of stuff here where you know people were really considering Paul George for MVP as well, and I just never really saw it. As impressed as I am by uh, by Paul George as a player, and I think his year has been phenomenal. This has definitely been the best year of his career. Uh, I just, as much as I'm impressed by his defense, and I, you know, he's certainly another All NBA First Team defense. You know that that he's definitely getting that. This has been the best defensive year of his career as well, and I've been very impressed with what he's done. I think he was all like he's a rather distant second for me. I just think Rudy Gobert has been so heads and shoulders above the rest of the defenders in the NBA that, I, you know, it's like I didn't even really think about how – like I don't think there is a way for Paul George to have overtaken Rudy Gobert from a defensive perspective. Like if we talk about – I think Rudy- it's also just – I'm sorry. Oh, one no, no, last no, thing. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, if you look at Rudy Gobert, he passes the analytics test and the eye test. So that's pretty significant Absolutely. for me. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean, uh, don't get me wrong. I think Paul George passes both the tests as well. Oh, yeah. The big thing is, I think it's much more difficult 
to to win defensive player of the year as a perimeter player than as a big. And I can only think of a couple examples, you know, like the Ron Artests of the world uh, that have won that have won defensive player of the year and been on the perimeter. So I think that, you know, just from a from positional standpoint, it is harder to give Paul George that award. Yeah. And uh, obviously with the year that Draymond won, Draymond Green is sort of a, a hybrid defender in a way that he can defend the post as well as the perimeter. But obviously the, the Warriors in the regular season weren't really great defensively and uh, Draymond Green is a part of that. So that's probably why he was not one of our candidates for the award this year. But but hey, I, I think uh, the Ballistic Podcast Defensive Player of the Year award is is Rudy Gobert and deservedly so. So congratulations, Rudy Gobert. Uh, so with that, yeah. <laughs> we we move on to uh, most improved player, and, and this year for most improved player, I mean, it it's been interesting, but it's not in the sense that there are many candidates that you could think about for, for the award, and you could probably think of uh, many. Um, what do you call it? In, uh, go, go, go. What's the what's the word I'm looking for? You 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 could probably think of very in, intuitive candidates that like wouldn't come to mind for other players. Like for example, some people might have voted Giannis Antetokounmpo most improved player, and that would that would have made perfect sense. But having said that, I think that this year there's a runaway winner, and we're going to be discussing that uh, with Vikram. So Vikram, do you think that there's a runaway winner? Do you, are you thinking of the person I'm thinking of? I imagine you're thinking of uh, Pascal Siakam, and that would be correct. Yes, I'm thinking. Yeah, of him. yeah. Uh, Talk about. I him think. So I think he. I think there have actually been a lot of players that have improved their game in a significant way this year. Uh, you know, De'Aaron Fox, if he wasn't a second-year player, is on the list. Buddy Hield, uh, Demontis Sabonis. Yeah, Buddy Hield as well. Uh, Demontis Sabonis for the Pacers is on this list certainly. Uh, I think the main reason why I have Pascal Siakam over all of those is not just because of the how good he is now, but how suddenly he appeared on the scene. And I think that there's there's something certainly to be said about the narrative of a player, but like I don't think anybody could have possibly expected this guy to be as good as he is. You know, Buddy Heald, he was drafted high and as a shooter, so the idea that he figured it out you know, it's it's awesome for him and it's awesome for the Kings, but it's not necessarily surprising in that sense. Mm-hmm, you're right. uh, De'Aaron Fox, you expect it from a second-year player. DeMontis Sabonis, you know, there was some expectation that he was going to be a good player in the NBA, whereas Pascal Siakam was a relative unknown. So I'm really, really happy that he's evolved into the player that he is now, and I think that his story is, is quite remarkable. His story is very remarkable, and yeah, I think I think he was the 27th pick in the year that in the year that he was drafted from New Mexico State. Obviously, he was part of a Luke Richard Mabah Mutes basketball without borders uh, in uh, in NBA Africa for in in Cameroon. I believe that's that's the country that he's from, and uh, as you said, he just burst onto the scene. He. Whenever I saw Pascal Siakam, I looked at him as sort of a role player, an energy player. He can get a rebound, but don't expect him to do anything offensively, right? He's not going to help you very much there. And all of a sudden, he's handling the ball, coming down the court, making spot-up threes, driving to the hoop, looking unstoppable on both defense and on offense, getting the starting nod over Jonas Valanciunas, who had established himself as a starter um, 
really for for the um Toronto Raptors and as you said like this is a total surprise no one saw this coming and when no one sees it coming that's that's pretty much the most improved player award which player does just burst onto the scene and turns heads and that's that's pretty much Pascal Siakam I'm not sure we've ever seen no, I'm not going to say we're not. I'm not sure we've ever seen a candidate like him. I'm not sure. It's been a while since I've seen a most improved candidate like him where you least anticipate it. I'm 100% in agreement with you. I don't think we have. Well, you know, maybe not never, but in, in recent memory, I don't think we have. How's that for a... Yeah, because mostly for How's the most for... improved players, you're able to predict them. Like which player had like a questionable year last year where, I mean, this year they're going to be given an increased role and an increased opportunity to improve themselves. Pascal Siakam, I don't really... Maybe the Toronto Raptors knew something on the inside that, oh my God, this guy is really, really good. Should get him, she should give him more playing time. But it wasn't apparent to us just watching Raptors games on a daily basis that you know, like this is going to be one of the key players on the Raptors. And uh, look at him. He's one of the key offensive players, offensive and defensive players for the Raptors. And uh, that that it's he's part of the reason why they're such a dangerous team. Yeah, absolutely. I think his emergence is probably uh, the biggest reason for their success beyond you know a healthy Kawhi Leonard and uh, a healthy Kyle Lowry. But I think the emergence of Pascal Siakam has given them a legitimate uh, a legitimate weapon on both the offensive and defensive ends. And the thing I like most about Pascal Siakam is that he plays every single play at one hundred percent. And there's a lot to be said for that, and I'm really happy for him, for his development, and I'm happy for the Raptors organization and franchise. So I think that this is another one of those awards that's like pretty easy. Yeah, that that's probably has something to do with it. like his African, uh, his brought up coming from coming to the United States from Africa, uh, having to play against better players and just having to you know develop his game to such a level where he, he's better than those guys and that's that's sort of the environment that Joel Embiid came up with as well and look look at the player that he's become so maybe that's maybe that's the secret to success who knows but anyways I, I think that it's clear that uh Pascal Siakam is uh the Ballistic Podcast most improved player so congratulations Pascal we with that we move on to the sixth man award and uh I think there's a candidate that comes up every single year for six man award that's going to take home the ballistic podcast six man here six man of the year award again but there are there are also several candidates for this, uh, the six man of the year award and uh Vikram do you mind highlighting those candidates for us Sure so I think uh I mean Lou Williams is honestly let me let me be frank here it's Lou Williams one, two, and three, and I don't really care about the rest. Well, to be honest, I mean, I mean, he he's definitely one and two, but maybe third would be his teammate Montrezl Harrell. Yeah, and I, I think Demontis Sabonis also deserves some love here. Yeah, yeah, I, mean, uh, I think he's been quite, quite uh, remarkable as well. Another player is Andre Iguodala, who never will get the love <laughs> this award simply because of the minutes played and his role in the Warriors. But you know that aside, I think that there are there are other good six men. Spencer Dinwiddie that have been, in the, yeah, Spencer Dinwiddie has been fantastic as well. But I, I just think you know Lou Williams is so far ahead for this. You know, I, I just don't think it's reasonable to choose anyone else. You're, Would you I, disagree? No, I do not disagree at all. I it's like 
I mean, we're we're in lockstep for all these awards, and probably that this is like a reflection of what the media thinks uh, these awards are, are are going to be. Because, uh, yeah, like you you talk about Lou Williams, right? For for the Clippers, he's probably their most clutch player, and it's evident because he's in the closing lineups, and he's expected to like he's expected to make the big shot. Uh, he he's expected to um, uh, he he plays the minutes of a starter, even though he comes off the bench. He's one of their most important players, and uh, this this year for the for the Clippers, the Clippers are in the playoffs, and he's one of the main reasons why. And when you are the sixth man and you're making the type of impact that Lou Williams is making, I do not see how you couldn't give him the award. Now, like the fact that you also had Montrezl Harrell as another candidate for the sixth man award that um was on the same team as the Clippers made the Clippers a very formidable bench that was very uh they're very good for them to have in the regular season but I think uh Lou Williams is by and large the more a consequential player for the Clippers and that's uh that's why I give the award to him as always um he seems to win it every year or be in the conversation every year yeah rightfully so I think so so like that's a pretty easy I actually have a very interesting question for you. So first, like the perennial six man of the year award was Jamal Crawford. And then it slowly became Lou Williams. Who's the next guy on that list for you? Like who, who's going to be the next guy to win uh, the six man of the year award and seem to never let it go? So, okay. So I actually have an interesting guess on this. Hmm. Uh, I think it's going to be Will Barton. That's interesting. I mean, you could be onto something there. Anyways, yeah, continue. Yeah, so I think the the model or archetype for this is, you know, super sub scorer off the bench, and I think for the Nuggets, they're gonna they're gonna be looking for a player that is more solid on the wing than Will Barton is. I think you know Michael Porter might take that spot, but I don't want to foreclose on you know Will Barton being able to make a really significant impact from the bench. And I think he plays the right position at shooting guard because he really is a shooting guard. He's not really a small forward. He's not. Uh, I yeah. think that, he's, yeah, I think that the idea that everybody has him, you know, or the Nuggets are playing him small forward is playing him out of position, really. And I think that what he does best, which is, you know, fill it up, athletic scoring guard, I think that's the, the archetype that you want to have uh, for six man of the year. So I think he might be the next type of guy that, that is potentially going to win this award several times hmm. that, that, that's that's a that's a very interesting name i think i think it could be very much onto something there um i'm actually looking at a couple of guys um other than will barton will barton was actually one of my guys that i was looking at but uh another guy for he plays for the sacramento kings his name is bogdan bogdanovich and obviously you got a question like with it does he does he start going forward does he continue to come off the bench but he's also one of those one of those scores that where hey if the if the Kings were to be a playoff team somewhere in the future, Bogdan Bogdanovich would be a really um, really good reason why. And he he's he's another one of those guys who is a very fundamentally sound player. Uh, came from Europe, obviously, really helped that Kings team take the next step this year, and hopefully he'll continue to help the Kings take uh, take the steps in the future. I think he's a very formidable candidate for the award. But um, another player that I'm looking at sort of under the radar that uh, I sort of uh, uh, pointed out is he could be the next Lou Williams is uh, Malik Monk, who plays for the Charlotte Hornets. Uh, obviously, he's not gone. He's not gone to that level yet. I think it's very hard to be the next Lou Williams, uh, even if you are you do have the gifted scoring ability. 
But I think Malik Monk, if he keeps working on his game, if uh, he continues to make that progression, if he continues to come off the bench, he'll settle into that role. And I think I think that he's like sort of a a, a dark horse candidate for uh, like continuous six man awards in the future. Um, and uh, I, I really hope that he gets to that level. Uh, yeah, what do you think of my picks? Uh, Malik Monk is a really interesting one. I like that. I think that that's very, very possible. Uh, I think he's got the super sub score mentality. I think for him, it's it's very much a question of is he going to uh, is he going to develop into that type of player? But I think he he certainly projects the right skill set for that. Uh, Bogdanovich, I think the I think the thing that's going to keep him off this list is I think he's going to start. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's I, come I, I, I put in that caveat there. Uh, before but anyways yeah. no, i know you did i'm just saying I, I think that's the the biggest case for him uh, is probably that but other than that i i actually am completely with your picks and i, I notice like i think all of our picks have you know similar characteristics in what they're providing yeah I, I, yeah I, I agree with you completely and another guy uh, i forgot to mention him terrence ross for the orlando magic he's he, obviously he's been up and down he's not quite lou williams more of a three-point shooter than anything, but he's he's also been big off the bench for the Orlando Magic, and he seems to be uh, a player that uh, looks to be a, uh, one of those great bench players like coming up in the future. He's he's in the final year of his contract, I think. So where where he goes next, whether he stays with the Magic or goes elsewhere, will be uh, will be very um, uh, consequential towards whether he is a candidate for the award in future years or not. So, so with that, I think we give the Ballistic Podcast Sixth Man of the Year Award to Lou Williams. So, uh, congratulations, sweet Lou. Um, so, with that, we move on to our next award, the final award that we're going to be discussing, I believe, and that's the the Coach of the Year Award. And uh, this award, I mean, this is interesting. This is pretty much based on your perspective and how you see coaching, how you see the NBA. Is the improvement of the team important, or is the standing of the team important? Is um, keeping the team of uh, is uh, coaching the team through struggles important, or making improvement from the previous year important? And this is, um, I mean, this is a, the award that I see the most disagreement on because it really varies based on your perspective. So, Vikram, I'm interested to know your perspective on this award. Uh, who do you think should uh, get the award? I mean, who do you think are the candidates for the award, and who do you think should get the award? So. I think the candidates are the coach of the Bucks, Mike Budenholzer. I think that's one. Uh, I think Mike Malone, Steve Kerr. Ever, yeah, Mike Malone. But can Steve Kerr ever not be in the running for this award either, I, with the, how the Warriors have played? But I think I really do think it's probably between uh, Mike Malone, Nick Nurse, uh, and Mike Budenholzer. I think those are probably my my top three candidates. Hmm. Uh, do you have any others that I'm forgetting about? Uh, I, I don't think that you're, I, I think you, your top coaches are right on the money. And some other coaches I'd uh, throw into the mix a little bit. Uh, Doc Rivers was getting a lot of, uh, considerations for coach of the year, uh, when the Clippers were at oh, the yeah. top of the Western conference, obviously now, I mean, now they're the sixth seed, but the fact that they are in the playoffs after like trading away their best player is uh, like a, a feather in his cap. So Doc Rivers is another guy. And another guy I was looking uh, at throughout the season was Dave Yeager for the Kings. If the Kings ever found a way oh, to sneak into the playoffs, yeah. that would have been uh, the, the, that would have been a good pick for Coach of the Year. But anyways, uh, so who's your pick for Coach of the Year? There are two other coaches I think we should mention, sure. just because they're pretty remarkable. 
Uh, Kenny Atkinson, that's yes. I think is, is is really significant to to say how good of a job he's done. Uh, yeah, and uh, also Steve Clifford for the Magic. I honestly, if you had told me the Magic were going to be a playoff team, I think that might be the surprise of the year for me. Yeah, for sure, for is sure. that for the sure. Magic are a playoff team, and, and that too be, after being fired by the Hornets last year to join the Magic. Yeah, I, I team, think it's, yeah, I think it's been amazing what he's done, and uh, by in the same token, I think Dwayne Casey has done a real job in uh, in Detroit as well. So you know, I just wanted to give credit where credit is due. Obviously, yeah, for, for sure. And uh, who's your who's your winner? Uh, I think my winner is probably Boonholzer. I, I don't think it's reasonable to give anybody else the award. Uh, again, this is a pretty easy one, where I think what he's done is just so remarkable, and in, in literally, you know, making making one hundred percent use of all of the talent that he has on this team. Yeah, I, I think, so, um, yeah, okay, anyway, yeah, continue, I'm sorry. Uh, oh, I was saying, I'm just on the Budenholzer train. I'm completely on it. Me too. I'm, I'm on it, and uh, uh, I'm going to give him the award as well. I think in any other year, it would be Mike Malone, given the youth of the Nuggets and what, what's, what seed they are this year. But, but the way Mike Budenholzer came in and completely transformed the Bucks' offensive system to something that was sustainable and it's something that worked around Giannis's strengths and uh, put, put together the type of offense that like we we dreamed about the Bucks having under Jason Kidd never happened and Mike Budenholzer comes in I think we were all really happy when Budenholzer got hired for the Bucks and he I think he's exceeded our expectations quite frankly we thought the Bucks would probably be a top uh, a top half seed uh, in the in the Eastern Conference 1 2 3 or 4 not the number 1 overall seed in the entire NBA uh, home court advantage throughout the playoffs, including the finals. We, I, I don't think we ever saw this coming uh, out of the bucks when they made very, they really made very minimal roster changes. They signed Brooke Lopez who ended up doing great things for them. Um, uh, but, but really their roster is the same as they had last year for the most part. And Budenhoser has been able to take that roster and do amazing, amazing things with the personnel that they already had. So really a credit to him for, for, for doing that and uh, for improving the Bucks from the seven seed to the one seed. Uh, that in and of itself gives him the Coach of the Year award for me personally. Vikram, do you have any thoughts on what I just said? Basically, I think we, are, we align again. This is really again. kind of a boring award show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think this year's been pretty i mean outside of the mvp race i think the rest of the awards are pretty honestly have been pretty straightforward hmm. uh i think we're gonna have a probably a little bit more disagreement with our all nba teams when we do them i, I think i, th Only I think so too more, and, and and it's and sort of more... inevitable that we'll, we will have disagreement because like for the all nba team you have 15 players so who who makes it? Who doesn't make it? There will obviously obviously be a, a lot of uh, not not a lot of difference between our two lists, but maybe a, a couple of differences between the first team and the second team that would create um, some creative tension between the two of us. How how about that? How how would that be? Sure, cool. <laughs> that's that's fun. That's more fun. That that, that when there that, is some that is fun. Uh, by the way, while. While we have time, executive of the of the year, do you do you have any candidates for that award that come to mind for you? Uh, John Hammond is probably my number one for this award as well. Not oh, I, I think we have some disagreement here. I I would I would pick Masai Ujiri. 
Really? Yeah, for for obviously for the Kawhi trade at first, but then during uh, but then over the trade deadline, uh, tra- uh, trading for Marcus Saul that was an, that was another big trade, and the way player development seems to be uh, an underlying trend in the Toronto Raptors. Even when the, yeah, they acquire all these all these star players, there's always player development going on inside. the side. That's why they continue to be such a deep team. I think I think Masai Ujiri has a big part to play in that. So uh, I don't I, disagree with you. I think Masai Ujiri is my uh, executive of the year this year. Cool. Uh, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I would just say, great, you traded for Kawhi. That's, that's really important, and it's certainly significant. Hmm. Uh, I would say that some of the things that John Hammond has done is signings of Arsan Elisovia and Brooke Lopez materially changed how the Bucks played. Wait, is John not Hammond? The, uh, John, John Hammond is not the GM of the Bucks anymore. Is he not? He he's not. He's he's now with the Magic, isn't he? He's now with the Magic. He's now the president of the Magic. Uh, wait, wait. Uh, John Hammond. Or oh, sorry, I meant John Horst. Excuse me. Okay. Not John Hammond. There you go. That's totally my bad. John Hammond yeah, was the ex totally general manager of the of the Bucks, uh, and that's probably why he got confused. Anyways, yeah, okay. Yeah, I on it. Yeah, the same first name killed me on this. Sure, sure it did. Yeah. Uh, yeah, uh, my bad. Anyways, yeah, John Hammond. I mean, or just, sorry, God, now John Horst. I'm John Horst. Now uh, we're confusing each other. This yeah, is great. We, we we are. I mean, with that, like, um, that's that's pretty much my executive of the year award. So the executive of the year award pick for the Ballistic Podcast Award Show is sort of it's split. It's split between two guys. So there you go. We have disagreement, as as you said. Uh, by the way, do you like the NBA award show? I I liked it better when the players had their own press conferences for the award because it, it sort of gave uh, the executives, the coaches. Uh, uh, to uh, a chance to talk about the player who had won the award and the player to a chance to give thanks to everyone who helped them get to this point. They can't do that in the award show. In the award show, I I remember like James Harden walking up to the stage with capris, capri shorts, and uh, and and really bad shoes and just like it, he looked ridiculous. That's all I remember from that. But like I remember when KD, uh, he had his um press conference after he won the MVP and he's he called his mom the real MVP. That was a big moment, and then Steph Curry winning the MVP. Uh, that was a great story. Story because, um, big big because of it, like his coach from Davidson being there and all he's been through. Uh, th- those were like signature moments, and uh, it's a shame that we lose that. But I, I understand why the NBA has their award show. Anyways, Vikram, take it away. Yeah, you know I agree with you. I wish that we had some more opportunity to have acceptance speeches and, and things like that. Because I think that one of the things people have to realize is these guys are human beings and they all, you know, they, they all have such interesting stories and I don't want to lose that simply because, you know, we're, we're more fixated on having like an award show in a traditional way, like rather than having things like acceptance speeches and things like that. So I, I very much am empathetic to your point of view on that. And I kind of wish, we had more of an opportunity for these players to, you know, share their experiences and really thank their teams and, and people that were important in their lives for, you know, for getting them where, to where they are today. So I agree with you completely. But, you know, I don't necessarily think that the award show now is is awful and terrible either. Uh, I just usually don't tune in, you know. Yeah. yeah. That's probably 
Probably. That's probably that's probably why. Maybe maybe you should tune in this year and and, and see what we're talking about. But but uh, but anyways, uh, that that's our episode for today. And uh, hopefully next week we'll be back uh, providing insight on the first round playoff matchups. And we can't wait to do that. And it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be a fun playoff uh, season for for us, Vikram. Yeah, fun playoff season. I think this is going to be fantastic, and we're both really looking forward. To- and uh, so uh, with that, uh, we're signing off uh, for Vikram. I'm Guru. Uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. Have a good night, everybody.